Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, CNN's political director, and welcome to the CNN Political Briefing. The date of the New Hampshire primary has officially been set for January 23rd, 2024. Presidential candidates have been making the pilgrimage to the first in the nation state to officially register to be on the ballot. It's the notice to voters that gets posted at every polling place, and we ask the presidential candidates to write a brief message to the voters of New Hampshire. You bet. And then sign it. New Hampshire does not whisper. (laughs) But one key player is missing. So today, I'm talking to former New Hampshire Attorney General, Republican Tom Raff. He is a New Hampshire primary expert, and we are going to discuss all the drama. So, Tom Raff, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure to be here, David. Thank you. Tom, we all got our save the date card, if you will, this week from the Secretary of State Scanlon. (laughs) It was announced that uh, the famed New Hampshire primary is going to take place on Tuesday, January 23rd. Now that we have a date set, I wanted to start there and about the tradition of the primary. I know you have, uh, through your work, worked for campaigns in many primary seasons. You've been uh, an active participant in the New Hampshire primary. And I'm wondering if you think that it still holds the position that the tradition suggests. Is it still? Does it matter? You've been up here enough that it is not just a a slight engagement. It is a genuine civil uh, commitment to this process. And there's nothing else earlier in the system that that actually replicates a general election the way the New Hampshire primary does. And we, we will have probably 60, 65% of the eligible voters in the primary show up and vote. And that's a lot better than a, even a scientific poll. So it's the first time that real people, as opposed to the polling subjects, real people act the way Real people are supposed to. You get a ballot, you go, and you vote it. So, yes, it matters. Whether it matters as much as it used to, that's for other people to decide. But I can tell you it is it is taken very seriously here. Yes, no doubt. And that civic responsibility is on display uh, by Granite Staters at uh, event after event across uh, the whole state. One person who doesn't seem to have much care for the tradition of it being first is President Biden. And he changed the calendar for the Democrats. And he is trying to reward South Carolina, a place that helped launch him to the Democratic nomination in in 2020 by putting it first. And I'm wondering how that move, and I know you're on the other side of the aisle, Tom, but if you have a sense of how the Biden operation and President Biden's decision himself to do that is being received up there? Well, a couple of things. One, not surprisingly, I disagree with them and I disagree with them strongly uh, in terms of how they misread the process and they have not handled the change in a very depth way. Uh, they, In fact, they've been clumsy about it. What matters to the Biden campaign this time about New Hampshire is not now, but November. And they need these four electoral votes. Everything suggests that we may have a pretty close election the Electoral College. And this was a self-inflicted wound. It was done to satisfy a debt that I understand he, he believes he had, and I, I understand the nature of it, 
to South Carolina, but it could have been done in a more graceful and less in your faith kind of way that this was done. It won't hurt him in the primary, obviously, other than it may drive some of the independent voters who can vote in a primary here to take Republican ballots as opposed to Democrats. But there will be no opposition to him here. But it's going to leave the Republican and independent voters another issue against the Biden presidency. And that, that to me, that is a, an unnecessary problem for them. So you really think that decision could have impact on his standing in the general election up there? I think it can chill some of the enthusiasm. Yeah, I don't know that it'll, it'll tilt it, but it, if it's a very close election, which this one seems to be shaping up to be, the things that you're doing to yourself hurt more than the things other people do to you because those are preventable. And this was preventable. How does this primary season feel to you on the ground up there? Does it feel, do you have a past election cycle that you would uh, compare it to? Does it feel sort of unique? What What is the nature of this moment a couple months out? Well, every primary season is a story unto itself, and there's no similarities that, that bind them other than the level of engagement of the population. And for some reason, this hasn't captured that yet. Uh, and it may be because on the Republican side, there's the Trump candidacy, which is unique in, in our political lives, which is not a very inclusive kind of candidacy. And for a while, you were kind of anti-Republican or disobeying commandment if you said, oh, no, I'm going to meet for somebody else. Now, that's key. The other thing that has made this one a little different is the fact that Governor Chris Sununu, who's extraordinarily popular and deservedly so in my up here, kind of flirted with the candidacy for a while. And the longer he that flirtation went on, and I, I'm not surprised at his final decision, but it froze people. In, so that the engagement of people who jump into these things early and choose a side was was hindered a little bit by wondering what Chris Sununu was going to do. So that question has been answered, and I think you're beginning to see the the ranks of activists kind of populate some of these other campaigns now that maybe weren't there. The other thing is, and I, there's no other way to say it, the date is is really, really early. I mean, it was early when it was in March. The reason New Hampshire had the primary first, and people miss this, is not because of our great desire to embrace the civic good, but because we're cheap. And the first <laughs> Tuesday in March for years is when they have town meetings, which is a principal way of governing a lot of the, of the towns. And so since they were going to have an election anyways and have people go to the polls anyway, well, why not do it then? Now, it became something way more beyond what anybody ever thought of. That really is where it comes from. It wasn't New Hampshire's desire to get into this way before anybody else. Because when they started it, it was a pretty heavily Republican state. And when we had 20 votes maybe at a, on the floor of a convention, but we were the, the dominant event that this has become. As I say, my first one was 64 with Rockefeller and Goldwater, which was a tremendous race. And that's when it really started to get the attention because there was so much in that race. And then New Hampshire did what people love about it and still does today, this hard, hard race between Barry Goldwater and Nelson Rockefeller, really divisive and really intense. About five days out, there was a group of people in conference, and we don't like either one of them. And they decided to run a writing campaign for Henry Cabot Lodge, who was then the U.S. ambassador to South Vietnam, about 12,000 miles away. And by God, he won. 
So there, that kind of quirkiness, I think, has endeared us to the to the pundits, such as yourself and others. And as for having been up here, we take it very, very seriously. So an engaged electorate, and, and I think an intelligent electorate that has looked at a lot of these is a factor that you don't just bring by setting the date. So there is an engagement level up here, which I think is genuine. Yeah. And we should note this is, while it is early, it's not the earliest that the New Hampshire uh, primary has been. There were uh, examples where it was even uh, a week or two earlier than it is scheduled to be uh, right. this cycle. You mentioned Chris Sununu resolved that he wasn't running, but he hasn't yet resolved whether or not he's going to back another candidate and endorse. And I'm wondering if you think that that endorsement, should it come, could be valuable up there. Is he is he popular enough with the Republican primary yes. electorate to to really have an impact? Well, the answer is yes. I mean, he's very, very popular and with good reason. However, as, and I think even the governor would tell you this, New Hampshire pretty independent, so that's a piece of data you would have. I don't know that it's determinative, and, and it would certainly control a couple of days in the news cycle, but I don't know where it would go from that unless he really got in and said, all right, my whole organization was going to use our voting list and make our calls and get our voters out. He may or may not do that. So there's levels of engagement. But certainly, if you were a, particularly maybe not one of the favorite candidates, that, that would be a huge boost. And I think if he chose someone other than uh, Donald Trump, which I would be my guess, that would be a huge lift to that person. Because Trump's vote is Trump's vote. And I don't yes. think it's necessarily dependent upon third parties. It's whether, and this is the real story of New Hampshire right now, is whether any of the other candidates can begin to create a critical mass big enough to make the story and, and threaten Trump. And that's where a Sununu endorsement would help a lot. And it is that part of the story that we are going to pick up right after this break. We're going to have a lot more with Tom Rath from New Hampshire. Stay with us. This week on The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Kara Swisher and I spoke before a live audience of students and professors at the Sign Institute of Policy and Politics at American University. The former tech reporter for The Wall Street Journal is on a massive book tour. Her memoir is titled Burn Book, A Tech Love Story. It's not the tech that's the problem. It's the people manipulating the tech. So I guess you could say I'm an activist. I'm an activist for unaccountable power, not being unaccountable. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish on Spotify. Welcome back. We're here with former New Hampshire Attorney General Tom Raff, a Republican Party poobah up in the Granite State. Tom, CNN and the University of New Hampshire in partnership in polling for the primary this cycle again. And this week, we released a brand new look at the state of the race among likely Republican primary voters. Trump still way out in front at 42 percent. His lead is not as big in New Hampshire as it is nationally. Haley has surged into a second place tier of her own at 20 percent in our poll. Christie showing a little uh, upward movement within the margin of error. He's now at 14 percent. DeSantis now numerically down in single digits, but he hasn't moved a ton. Ramaswamy's lost some ground here in our poll since September. But the story here is Trump maintains a dominant front running position and Haley has clearly carved out place for herself. I find the Christie position, I know he's bet everything on New Hampshire, still so interesting because 
roughly half the primary electorate says in our poll they won't even consider him. They would never consider him. He's still not aligned with the vast majority of the Republican primary electorate. But you raised something important earlier. Independents have a big role to play in New Hampshire. They can choose a ballot for either party's primary. And since there's not real action, sorry, Dean Phillips, Marion Williamson, on the Democratic side and delegates won't even be awarded, a lot of them are going to choose to play in the Republican race. In our poll, 43% of the electorate, Tom, are undeclared, are independents. And they're being split roughly evenly between Trump, Haley, and Christie. So what do you make of that? Well, first of all, some of that, that division of the, of the electorate is, is what you would expect. But the other piece of it is how engaged are you? The big news to me in, in the data that you released today is that, one, Trump is not only under 50, but he's quite a bit under 50. And his number is eroding to where it's been. That shows me an electorate that is still kind of sorting things out and taking its time. The second thing is that Governor Haley has run a very substantive race, not necessarily personality-driven, but substance. She's moved into a place that is, is interesting, and she's developed not just a following electorally, but a lot of the uh, the elites, the editorial elites are saying, this person of substance and background and character, that's helped her. With Christie, he he has played a role here that is remarkable, and I will use a word I don't usually use. It's been courageous. He has spoken truth to power. He makes no bones about it. He has taken on Trump as directly as any Democrat could ever take him on. And I think part of the reason Trump has gone from the mid-50s to the to the now the mid-40s is because there's been a steady drumbeat. And Christie has enabled the anti-Trump discussion to go forward in a very, very significant way. I, I just want to make one point clear in our polling, just because I know you're talking broadly, but Trump actually, it's within margin of error stuff, but he, in our September poll, he was at 39%. Now he's at 42%. It's roughly the same, but he's not moving backwards right. in our poll. Yeah. And I think that, that, that to me, with these numbers that some of the polls had him in the, the, the mid or upper 50s, that didn't seem right to me, given the way New Hampshire votes. But the fact is, he has not been able to put this field away. They're still in the game. And the, the, the other piece of it to me is, is are they going to settle in one place? The secondary story is if you and I were doing this six months ago, we would have said, well, what do you think about DeSantis? Well, even then it wouldn't have mattered what we thought about DeSantis is what the voters have thought about DeSantis. And they've had a pretty good look at DeSantis and that hasn't really worked out well for him right now. And so that's the thing, even though some of those numbers are not that far, it's really how the race has been reshuffled. And I I still think when you have a a prohibitive favorite like Trump is under 50, and now he's right around the brink of 40, you begin to look at what's happening below him. So there, there may be a secondary primary here. It may be between Christie and Haley, who basically kind of ignored each other is who can consolidate the anti-Trump vote most significantly. And that's the kind of thing I would be watching for the next four or five weeks. I want to get a sense from you when you are just getting around the state or going to some events, and you're obviously a very plugged-in, politically active person, Tom. What is driving this primary contest for voters? What are the issues that you hear the most about that people are 
using as the frame through which they're assessing these candidates? Well, without dodging the question, really the issue that comes up most is Trump's personality. And do you like him or do you not like him? And is he the appropriate role for president? I don't remember David Reese quite like that, where that that trait dominated the way this discussion is dominant. To say nothing of the fact that he is an actual former president and has held right. the job. I mean, that adds a whole other complexity to it. Yeah. It, it almost goes back to Vietnam. I've never seen a foreign policy issue erupt in the way that the Mideast has erupted at this stage in this, this race. It's almost so enormous an issue that no one has really figured out what to do with it yet. But it is it has created a degree of uncertainty that I haven't seen before. And I don't know that any of the candidates have been able to address it in its details. I think to the extent that foreign policy becomes an issue, Ambassador Haley would have a leg up. And she speaks with great precision on those kind of things. And I've seen her a couple of times where she's addressed, not necessarily since the invasion and all, but, but she's been very knowledgeable. She understands the world and speaks to it. I would think that issue may be one that she's able to utilize. It's probably why we saw Chris Christie just take a trip to Israel last right. week, understanding that if he is in this, as you said, alternate primary contest with Nikki Haley in New Hampshire, he wants to make sure to not cede that territory. In fact, in the poll, jobs and economy, 40% of the primary electorate said was their uh, top issue. Border and immigration at 18%, and now foreign policy has jumped to 15%. To your point, it is right up there tied as a second place uh, issue for voters. And interestingly, we did ask in the poll if for the view of likely Republican primary voters about banning refugees from Gaza to the United States. And six in 10 likely Republican primary voters support banning refugees from Gaza uh, to the U.S. Well, and that's an issue that probably you wouldn't think of when you look at our geography, but there has been an issue of crossing the northern border of the state of people, not not necessarily Canadians, but folks who are trying to get around the immigration service and coming in. So there has been an issue about illegal aliens coming into the state, and there has been some discussion of it. So there's a resonance to that that maybe you wouldn't think by looking at, at where we sit. If I were Biden's people, that's my bit. You say we, we have almost no unemployment here. I mean, it's, I've never seen the economy quite as strong as it is now, but there is an unease and an unsettled nature of this electorate. I'm 78, so I think Biden's a little young for the job. But <laughs> the fact is, even with that issue, there just doesn't seem to be a, an ability for this electorate to settle down and get in a place and stay there. And so I, I think we will play our normal role, which is eliminating some candidacies. But I don't, I don't know that we're going to configure the race prospectively the way maybe we have before, because there is this unease and the inability of the, of the, the electorate to settle and move in a, in, a, in a unified direction. I think we're going to have that, David, right through November. Yeah. So, well, before I let you go, speaking of November, I mean, obviously you are a never Trump Republican, if you uh, don't mind me labeling you as such. I, I know that you were a Biden voter in 2020 when it was Biden versus Trump. If it is Biden versus Trump again come November, where are you going to be, Tom? I'm going to be at the polling place early and vote for Biden. 
because I think Trump is, a, is, is not a plus for the American democratic experiment. Biden for New Hampshire has been pretty good. The unemployment's down. We are doing things with international trade. We are by and large a pretty reasonable state on things like civil rights and women in the workplace. And we have, we have two women senators, one a congressman. We could, both of those senators have been, have been governors. We have a former senator who's most likely to be a governor. So I think New Hampshire will cling fervently to the middle as we usually do in these elections. And I don't know that we're going to give anybody a huge majority up here, but I would think we will squarely be in the center of the center. And I think that that's probably not good news for Donald Trump. Tom Raff, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Good to see you, David. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's edition of the CNN Political Briefing. And we want to hear from you. Is there a question you'd like answered about this election cycle? Is there a guest you really want to hear from? Give us a call at 301-842-8338 or send us an email at cnnpoliticalbriefing at gmail.com. And you might just be featured on a future episode of the podcast. So don't forget to tell us your name, where you're from, how we can reach you, and if you give us permission to use the recording on the podcast. CNN Political Briefing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Madeline Thompson. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Dan DeZula is our technical director, and Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. Support from Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lainey Steinhardt, Jameis Andrist, Nicole Pesseru, and Lisa Namaro. And special thanks to Katie Hinman. We'll be back with a new episode on Friday, December 1st. Thanks so much for listening.